Tonight, the plan and the pressure, growing fractures over foreign election interference. Unanswered questions about the prime minister's strategy. What does this rapporteur even do? It sounds like a fake job. We will, of course, uh, be open to suggestions. The push and pull on alleged meddling from China. A Saskatchewan man waiting for a transplant, devastated to learn he wasn't even on the list. We went that whole, pretty much a whole year, believing. Consequences of a crushing delay. Plus, pumping the brakes on free parking. A more a thoughtful way to use the space and the resources. The word on the street in Montreal and other major cities. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Good evening, everyone. If the prime minister's plan on election interference was designed to turn down the volume, it has only made opposition calls for a public inquiry louder. They're accusing the government of a blueprint that is still missing vital details. Justin Trudeau and EU head Ursula von der Leyen met with Canadian soldiers today. But this international visit was overshadowed by the pressing matter of national security. CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier starts us off. Hosting the President of the European Commission in Kingston this morning, the Prime Minister could not escape questions on the so-called rapporteur he will appoint to investigate China's interference in Canada's elections. The special rapporteur will be there uh, to ensure that Canada has all the mechanisms and tools necessary and is making best use of them to counter foreign interference. The opposition has been calling for a public inquiry and went on the attack. Why do we need a special rapporteur? What does this rapporteur even do? It sounds like a fake job. And again, later in the House. Rapporteur, uh, does it come with a costume? Maybe a cape or and a sword? We didn't need another reason to see that the leader of the opposition has never, has never taken this issue, issue seriously. A special committee of parliamentarians made up of members from all parties with top security clearance has been tasked to hear witnesses, but only behind closed doors, and report back to the Prime Minister. That committee, while it can do important work, is a committee that is uh, very confidential given the nature of the information. The opposition leader accusing the Prime Minister of covering up the truth about the alleged interference because he says he benefited from it. Whatever it is that he's hiding, it must be bad. It must be really bad. How bad is it? A national security issue sinking into partisan politics, says this former this Liberal strategist. The Prime Minister should have acted sure and faster, and the leader of the opposition should not, under any circumstances, suggest that there is collusion between the government of Canada and those who would seek to interfere with our elections and democratic process. He knows that's not true. The rapporteur will be appointed within weeks, says the government, and will make recommendations. One of them may be a public inquiry, a recommendation the Prime Minister said he would follow. Omar? All right, Joyce, thank you. An Ontario man accused of throwing gravel at Justin Trudeau during the 2021 campaign has pleaded guilty. The Prime Minister was hit by a handful of small stones while surrounded by protesters 
in London, Ontario. Shane Marshall faced a charge of assault with a weapon. Today, his supporters gathered outside the courthouse for the first day of his trial. Inside, Marshall entered a surprise plea to the lesser charge of common assault. Sentencing is in May. China delivered a warning to the U.S. today. China's foreign minister said that Beijing and Washington are headed for, quote, conflict and confrontation if the Americans don't change course. It comes after leader Xi Jinping accused the West of trying to suppress and contain China. Tensions over Taiwan, trade, and more recently, the spy balloon have increased frictions between the two superpowers. One of the nine judges on the highest court in Canada will be under the microscope of the Canadian Judicial Council, which is reviewing a complaint into the alleged conduct of Justice Russell Brown. CTV's senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor joins us from Ottawa. Glenn, what do we know so far? Omar, Justice Russell Brown is a small-c conservative voice on Canada's top court, appointed in 2015 by Stephen Harper. But the judge is now sidelined. This was the last time Brown was on the bench for a hearing before the Supreme Court in mid-January. Today, the Canadian Judicial Council confirmed is reviewing a complaint about Brown's conduct that it received a few weeks later. He went on a leave of absence shortly after. The council says Brown has provided a response to the B.C. judge who is reviewing the matter, but neither the court nor the council will reveal the nature of the complaint. Court watchers say his absence could play a role in a crucial upcoming hearing, Alberta's constitutional challenge of federal environmental law. That could actually create um, a problem in terms of um, is it appropriate to have that appeal hearing if he's not on the bench? Now, the court hasn't given a date when Brown will return. It's scheduled to hear arguments in three cases this month alone, Omar. All right, Glenn, thank you. A Saskatchewan man desperately waiting for a kidney is sharing his journey from hope to heartache tonight. The 23-year-old has spent the past year believing he was on a transplant list, but was shocked to learn he was not. Here's CTV's Bill Fortier. Well, this is the fluid that goes in me. A typical day for Keel Ellis. Hang it up. Involves hours of treatment at home. And I go like this, and I connect. He does his own dialysis four to five times per day and wakes up every day in pain. Feels like somebody's beating your calves with a baseball bat. Last April, he was diagnosed with kidney failure as a result of his type 1 diabetes. We were told when he was in the hospital that he would be put on a transplant list. But a couple of weeks ago, at an appointment in Regina, the family found out Keel was never put on that list. They told us that I was just exhausted because I was like, how could this be? How could... How could this kind of thing happen? Feels um, crushing. The family believes someone within the system forgot about them, and since then his condition has only worsened. He has trouble sleeping and eating, and he's getting weaker. Wasted a year, and now everything's kind of really going downhill. Citing patient privacy, the Saskatchewan Health Authority won't give specifics, but says... Human error and other factors can result in care delays on rare occasions, recommending that patients follow up with health providers on the status of upcoming appointments, procedures and treatments. Average wait time for a kidney in Saskatchewan is nearly three years. Despite setbacks, the Ellis family is still dreaming of that day. I would fix everything, all, all my problems. The SHA says the transplant process begins when a referral form is sent in from a patient's nephrologist. CTV News reached out to Keel Ellis's nephrologist. So far, there's been no response.
Omar. What an ordeal. All right, Bill, thank you for this tonight. A 93-year-old retired priest appeared in a Winnipeg court today and heard directly from a First Nations woman who testified he assaulted her while she was a student at the former Fort Alexander Residential School more than 50 years ago. Do you have anything that you'd like to say? Arthur Massey did not speak to reporters as he left. The woman, Victoria McIntosh, who was 10 at the time, said Massey allegedly assaulted her in a bathroom and told her not to say a word. But she says she is relieved she found her voice today. Right now I feel very light. And for a long time I felt heavy. But to be heard, that was, that was the main thing. Massey has denied the allegations. Closing arguments are expected tomorrow. Dramatic new developments to a story we brought you last night about a violent kidnapping in Mexico. Tonight, there's word two of the four Americans were killed after traveling to the country for a medical procedure. Pre-pandemic, an estimated 1.2 million Americans went to Mexico each year for elective treatments, mostly cosmetic and dental procedures that are cheaper. But the human cost can be far greater. CTV's Washington Bureau Chief Joy Malbin on the risky road trip. Escorted by heavily armed Mexican military, the surviving Americans crossed back onto U.S. soil. Identified by her long blonde braids, Latavia McGee, a mom of six, and Eric Williams shot in the leg are recovering at a Texas hospital. But the Mexican government confirms two of their friends did not make it. Two of them were dead. Latavia N. has no injury. And Eric has, uh, has been shot. The group drove from Texas into Matamoros, Mexico, so one of them could undergo a cosmetic medical procedure. They got lost and caught in a violent shootout. Police believe they were mistaken as a rival drug cartel in an area security experts describe as a war zone. You know, people disappear all the time. They're abducted, they're, they're raped, they're murdered. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's just a, a fact of life down there. Mexico's president offered his condolences. Authorities found the Americans in a rural wooden shack and arrested a 24-year-old man guarding them. We thank our Mexican and U.S. law enforcement partners for their efforts to find these innocent victims. And the task forward is to ensure that justice is done. For the mother of Latavia McGee, who survived, relief. I had to hold my heart. I said, I'm so appreciated. I was thinking the laws. I said, thank you, Jesus, I God. Tonight, the White House is under pressure, vowing to fight cartel violence with new sanctions, and the FBI is offering a $50,000 reward, hoping to make more arrests soon. Omar? Joy Melvin in Washington, where today Canada's immigration minister met face-to-face -face with the head of U.S. Homeland Security to find solutions to the flow of undocumented migrants across the border. CTV's Richard Madden on the new American reinforcements. With a growing surge of migrants crossing both directions of the shared border and growing political pressure to stem the flow, Canada's immigration minister, Sean Fraser, and U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas met face-to-face -face on an issue with no quick fix. Migration is a reality uh, that we're going to continue to deal with. These things sometimes uh, take time. These are uh, challenging issues. His visit comes as the U.S. Border Patrol reports illegal crossings from Canada are at record levels. Tonight, the agency tells CTV News 25 extra agents will be deployed to the busy Swanton sector of the northern border. 
The deployed team will serve as a force multiplier and assist to deter and disrupt human smuggling. Just days ago, the Border Patrol chief told us more smugglers are using Canada as an easy access point. This migrant population is flying into Canada and then, of course, they may coordinate with a smuggler or, or criminal organizations and then they get trafficked across the border into the U.S. The northern border is now a flashpoint for congressional Republicans, some questioning Ottawa's no-visa requirement for travelers from Mexico. We don't have plans to, uh, to change our posture with respect to the Mexican visa. With no progress on modernizing the so-called Safe Third Country Agreement for refugee claimants entering Canada from the U.S., both nations are planning for long-term migration challenges brought on by climate change, violence and economic opportunities. We are seeing a movement of people throughout the hemisphere and quite frankly throughout the world that is historic. It is for us, no question about it, a very serious challenge. And top officials say this thorny issue will be on the agenda during President Joe Biden's upcoming Canadian visit with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The itinerary and travel dates are expected to be announced soon. All right, Richard, thanks. And as we mentioned off the top, the EU Commission president is here in Canada and this evening addressed Parliament. Thank you very much for welcoming me to the heart of Canada, the home of Canadian democracy. Speaking to the assembled MPs and senators, Ursula von der Leyen praised the joint fight against authoritarian regimes. And you understood the gravity of events in Ukraine before many others including many Europeans. Even as the gravity of those events persists in the war, there was a deal struck today in the invasion. A prisoner swap was held in that conflict today, with 90 soldiers bussed back to Russia and 130 Ukrainian troops freed as well, including some who survived the months-long siege of Mariupol. But there are growing questions tonight about a Ukrainian soldier who wasn't taken prisoner and was killed instead. CTV's chief international correspondent Paul Workman on the disturbing images and details. A weary-looking unarmed soldier stands smoking in a shallow trench. He utters three words, his last. Glory to Ukraine. Ukraine identified the soldier as Timothy Shadura and said he disappeared early last month defending the besieged and largely destroyed city of Bakhmut describing his death as the brutal murder of a Ukrainian warrior. I was devastated. This murder explains everything about this genocidal war. A Ukrainian man was clearly murdered simply for expressing his Ukrainian identity and love for his homeland. The siege of Bakhmut has been relentless and bloody, epic in its number of casualties, an estimated 20,000 to 30,000 Russians killed or wounded. Civilians are now leaving neighboring towns and villages as the fighting gets closer to their once peaceful streets. We remained until the very last, she says. Our neighbor's home was destroyed. It's time to go. For some, this is double jeopardy, double agony. Fleeing the destruction of Bakhmut to come here to Chasidyar, only to be followed by the trail of Russian artillery. I had an apartment in Bakhmut, he says, which I worked all my life to buy. It doesn't exist anymore. Even as Ukraine has been digging more trenches as part of a new line of defense, the country's military has announced it will not retreat from Bakhmut 
in spite of its own staggering losses. It's not known exactly when or where this execution took place. Ukraine tonight is calling it a war crime and a violation of international humanitarian law, Omar. All right, Paul, thank you. After the break. It's 27% of our streets. The bid to put free parking in the rearview mirror. Plus. You put your head down and uh, you don't have time to say this is it. A frightening encounter with flying ice. A heart-stopping moment for a driver in Ottawa caught on camera. A massive piece of ice broke loose from a cube fan and smashed right through Daryl Wyland's windshield. Put your head down and uh, you don't have time to say this is it. Wyland wasn't hurt and was able to pull over safely despite being covered in shards of glass. Well, clearing ice and snow off streets comes at a hefty price for cities and their taxpayers right across the country. In Montreal, there are new calls to get some of that money back by charging users for spots, even in residential neighborhoods. Here's CTV's Genevieve Beauchemin. In largely paved over cities, parking spots are now the focus of attention. It's 27% of our streets. An urban it's planning and environmental group recommends paid parking on all Montreal streets, even residential roads, and says user fees should cover the $1,200 cost for each space. Half of it is, is the, the, the value of the land, and the other half is constructing the road and maintaining it, uh, removing the snow and so on. The recommendation to force the car to take a bit of a back seat is getting mixed reviews. You mean I have to agree. I honestly think that parking is a resource and why not put a price on it? I think it's already like the right price. A 2020 study found Canada has up to 97 million parking spaces, more than four spots for every vehicle. After a love affair with the car began in the 1920s, fears street parking wouldn't be enough drove cities to force developers to build a minimum number of spots for each housing unit. In 2021, Toronto got rid of many of these rules. And 15 cities across the U.S. too rolled back their parking requirements last year. Advocates say the goal of cutting down on parking is to help stall the housing crisis, climate change and pedestrian fatalities. And some reimagining cities say technologies, including self-driving cars, may one day play a part in the solution. Instead of having parking spots, every house or every community would have what are called pudos, pick up and drop off locations. But that isn't for years and years, and some argue making parking less accessible will drive people away. We're not there yet. Uh, I don't know when we will get there, but for now, it's if we want people to, st if we want families to stay in Montreal, this is uh, basically a way to push them out. Montreal is studying a series of recommendations as it prepares its long-term urban plan due out next year. Genevieve Beauchemin, CTV News, Montreal. Still ahead, mid-air mayhem, a violent attack and takedown caught on camera. There's new video tonight of the frightening mid-air attack we told you about last night on a flight from Los Angeles to Boston. I will kill every man on this plane. The man in the video is facing federal charges and up to life in prison if convicted. Authorities say a passenger walked down the aisle holding a broken metal spoon, turned it into a weapon, and used it to stab a flight attendant in the neck. Fortunately, 
there were no serious injuries. In France today, more than a million protesters took part in nationwide strikes and demonstrations against the government's pension reforms. In Paris, police used tear gas to disperse protesters, setting fires and smashing cars. Elsewhere, demonstrations were more peaceful. France is looking to raise the retirement age by two years to 64 years old, a move most in the country oppose. Japan's space program suffered a setback after the failed launch of a new rocket. Main engine start. Everything went according to plan as the rocket blasted off. But just 15 minutes later, the second stage engine didn't ignite, so the mission was aborted. The rocket was carrying a satellite equipped with a sensor designed to detect North Korean missile launches. Coming up after the break, a look at a U.S. company printing its way to space. There will be a historic launch from Florida tomorrow, and that's because it involves the world's first 3D-printed rocket. CTV's John Venavelli-Rao on the tech, the implications, and a new tool in the race to space. It's a remarkable rocket that looks like so many others, but at the base of it, the giveaway. The words printed in the USA. It's the largest 3D-printed object in the world. Um, out of metal. Engines full power and liftoff. While companies like SpaceX have radically improved the cost and frequency of getting into orbit, California-based Relativity Space wants to revolutionize how rockets get built. At a facility it calls the factory of the future, it's using huge 3D printers it's developed that can make massive parts and sculpt a rocket, including its engines, in just 60 days, a fraction of the usual time and at a quarter of the cost. 85% of the rocket uh, by mass that's sitting on the pad right now is 3D printed. That trailblazing rocket called Terran 1 is in Florida ready to roar into space. The engines have been tested extensively, but this will be the first time the company has tried to reach orbit. Things are looking great and teams feeling good and excited to uh, get the, the opportunity to, to test the system in flight. Because the 10-story rocket is mostly printed, it has 100 times fewer parts than a traditional one and is designed to carry small satellites into space for customers like NASA. The company also plans to make a much bigger reusable rocket that's 95% printed and hopes eventually to go to Mars. Lots of firsts on 3D printing and demonstrating the viability of that technology. The team's first mission is aptly named Good Luck, Have Fun hoping to boldly go where no printed launch vehicle has gone before. John Venavalli Rao, CTV News, Toronto. Catchy name. And that's a snapshot of this Tuesday for all of us at CTV National News. Thank you for watching and good night.